Well, we are in week four of our series, Guardrails. I encourage you, if you missed any of our series, go back to our podcast, go to our website, and, and, and listen back, because we've got some great, um, great messages around this whole subject. A guardrail is a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas, and that's what a guardrail is, and that's the purpose of a guardrail. And can you imagine what our life would be like if we didn't have these personal guardrails in our life in, in view of money, relationships, or anything else like that? In fact, some of our greatest regrets is because we didn't have any guardrails around these areas, and we found ourselves falling off the edge. And, and have you ever been hurt before in a relationship? Have you ever been hurt before uh, financially or academically? And you know what? The great news about guardrails is that if we set them in place today, we can avoid any other future regrets. So uh, the last few weeks, we've looked at money, we've looked at guarding your heart, and the guardrails, they direct us and they protect us. Today, if you're looking for a subheading for this message, it's this, let's talk about sex. Okay, let's move on. Let's talk about sex. Um, as a youth pastor, I, I have been asked this question many times, and, and then even as, a, even as a senior pastor, and even older people ask me this question, and what they've asked me is this, is how far can I go, this is people asking me, how far can I go with my girlfriend or my boyfriend, um, how far can I go in that area? And I don't need to tell you what I mean by that and what they mean by that, how far they can go. Basically what they're saying is, how close to sin can I go without actually sinning? That's what they're asking. And I said this to them, I said, look, you can go as far as you like as what you feel comfortable to do in front of their parents. Go as far as you like in front of their parents. So if that's your guardrail, so if you don't even like holding hands, well, that's your guardrails. How far would you go in front of their parents and use that? Or better question is this. When you know you're heading into that direction, is, is ask yourself this question, am I flirting or fleeing? Am I flirting or am I fleeing? So today, I want to talk about friends with benefits. Today, I want to talk about moral guardrails, okay? And, and it's, all about, it's, a talk about guarding, it's a talk about guarding your marriage. It's a talk about guarding yourself for marriage. It's a talk about guarding yourself from married people, okay? And so here's the question, am I flirting or am I fleeing? See, the best word to describe this, this whole subject that we're talking about is an old word we don't really use anymore, um, is the word fidelity. Now, fidelity is a Latin word, an old Latin word, which means faithful and loyal. Is anybody on the road of fidelity right now? Right, come on, and if you're, if you're a husband or your wife, your wife is looking at you and saying, put your hand up, okay, make sure, yes, I'm on the road of fidelity, great. Glad we got those lines sorted. Okay, now the problem we have with us is that when we entertain ourselves, we watch movies, right? We listen to songs, right? We look at social media and we look at all these things and the stuff that we watch and the things that we listen to and the things that, that uh, on social media, they glorify sex outside of marriage and they glorify affairs. But when somebody actually has an affair that you know, you're mortified. In fact, when someone that you know actually has an affair, you're shocked, you're disgusted. But yet we entertain ourselves with these things and that's the kind of the issue that we face ourselves. Um, in fact, culture does more to bait us to the edge of disaster in this area than any other area in life. 
when we think about it, and, and, and they'll, they'll, they'll bait us to the end, and, and, and as much as they can, they throw it in our faces through social media, through, through for movies, and through songs, and, and things like that. They bait us to the edge, but if we actually step across that line, culture and society will point the finger and shame us for, look, shame on you, you home wrecker. Shame on you, you family destroyer. Shame on you. Yet it baits us to the edge of disaster. Can you imagine if we can get this area in our life sorted? Can you imagine if we can get our families, this area in our families' lives sorted? There'll be less poverty. There'll be, there'll be less unwanted pregnancies. There'll be less domestic violence. There'll be fewer kids in foster care. There'll be less boys, uh, young boys and young girls growing up without a mum, growing up without a father. And yet we all know somebody who has been affected by this because they hadn't set some kind of guardrails in their life. And this is what we're talking about today. In fact, 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul, he was planting churches right around the Mediterranean basin. And he writes back to this church in Corinth. And the church of Corinth, he's visited that church many times, and he preached, and he, and he taught in that church. And he's writing back to them, reminding them of what he taught them around this whole area. And he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 to 20. He says this, Flee from sexual immorality. Flee from sexual immorality. Right? And we're like, well, okay, I think that's maybe a bit too far. But let me tell you something. This is what every big brother will want their little sister to do, right? Every big brother will want their little sister to flee from sexual immorality. This, will, this is what every dad will want their daughter to do. This is what every, every mom will want their sons to do. This is what every husband will want their wife to do. This is what every wife will want their husband to do. This is what every fiancé will want their fiancée to do, right? It's to flee from sexual immorality. But one of the biggest problems we have is, that, is the fact that we even bait ourselves right to that edge. And instead of fleeing... We flirt with that line. We bait ourselves to the edge. And, and quite often, if we, if, we, if we fall off that edge, we're ashamed, or maybe we shame other people who have done that as well. Am I flirting or am I fleeing? See, the Apostle Paul, he's not against sex. You've got to understand something. God created sex. He was up in heaven. And he was like, I've got this great idea. And the angels, angels go, what's the idea? And God will say, you will never understand. But you're going to be jealous, right? <laughs> Christians are not against sex. In fact, uh, when, when God flooded the earth and, and then um, Noah, the ark settled on dry ground, God will say, say to Noah, go and multiply, fill the earth. In other words, he said to Noah, I want you to go and have lots and lots of sex. Go for it. Fill the earth. Don't stop until this earth is filled. And that's, like a full, that's a full-time job. You know, that's what he's asking to do. I've got to, he's basically saying to Noah, you've only got one job description, okay? Are you ready for this? <laughs> okay, take a lot of vitamins. But anyway, <laughs> six. Six is a great gift given to us by God. But with great gifts come great responsibility, right? And it's not, oh, I'm talking about Spider-Man here. With great gifts comes great responsibility. And basically God is saying, look, look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want you to have as much sex as you like within in the protection of marriage. In the protection of marriage. Have as much as you like, okay? This is because marriage will protect you and will protect other people around you. 
And that's what he's saying. So he says in verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. So Paul immediately puts sexual sin in its own category. There's sin, and then there's sexual sin. It's different. And the reason why it's different is because it's possible for you to recover from financial um, disaster, to fully recover from financial disaster. It's possible for you to fully recover academically. But when it comes to sexual sin, forgiven, absolutely. But to, to recover from the fullness of the consequences of this area, most likely no. Most likely no. Because sexual, sexual sin can undermine future intimacy and it can fu- uh, undermine future relationships. Sexual sin can make you a liar and a secret keeper for life. I mean, we'll admit lots of things. We'll, we'll, we'll admit that I was once bankrupt. We'll admit that, you know, I, 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 I've spent some time. I've been under the influence and had an accident. We'll admit all these kind of things. But when it comes to sexual sin, to the person that is so important to you, you know, we will not tell them because we don't want, want them to start thinking of us less. Because sexual sin can make you a liar and a secret keeper for life. So what Paul is saying here, he's saying, he's saying, look, this is not unforgivable. This has nothing to do with God loving you. It has nothing to do with God accepting you. But I'm just telling you the consequences of sin in this particular arena is different than everything else in your life. So he says in verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. So what does sexually, sexual sin actually mean, right? That's a lot of, I don't often say it's the word sexually quite a lot in church. So what does sin sexually actually mean? Great word, great word, right? Great word in, in, the, in, the, in the realms of marriage. But anyway, when Jesus taught, Jesus taught that when, when you honor people, you honor God. And then Jesus begins to redefine what sin is. Because in the Old Testament, it was like, when you offend God, that's sin. But Jesus said, look, look, it's more than that. It's more than that. And, 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 and he begins to say, look, anytime, anytime you take from another person, anytime you defraud another person, anytime you dishonor another person, anytime you steal from another person, anytime you hurt another person, that is considered sin. So every single person you ever had the potential to hurt is loved by God. See, you cannot be okay with me if you mistreat one of my children. You can sing me songs, you can sit in rows and worship me, but if you mistreat one of my children, we've got an issue. So when we mistreat somebody, when we, no matter who they are, we can sing songs to God, when God, we love you, but if you've mistreated one of his children, he said, you've got an issue, you've got, I've got an issue with you. So sexual sin is anytime you do something to potentially hurt another person, which makes it a sin. Here's the thing, when you take this extraordinary gift that was designed for an exclusive one-of-a-kind relationship with another person, and you divvy it up with all these other relationships, you not only hurt all those people, but you hurt yourself. When you take from someone something that was intended for or promised to someone else, you sin against that person. See, God is not against sex. It has everything to do with how much God loves you, how much God honors you, how much God cherishes you. And it has everything to do with how much God loves and honors and cherishes everybody around you. This is a big deal, and the reason why this is a big deal to God is because the consequences of sexual sin is so different to everything else. 
And God loves you too much to keep his mouth shut. Am I flirting or fleeing? Then he goes on in verse 19. Do you not know? Do you not know? You should know this by now. If you're a Jesus follower, you should know this. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? And Paul, I love what Paul does here. He changes tact. He shifts the conversation away from consequence to identity. This is very important because you need to understand something. Sexuality has nothing to do with identity. has nothing to do with identity. I mean, it's got nothing to do with being alone or being happy. You can be in a sexual relationship and still feel alone. You can be in a a sexual relationship and still feel unhappy. Society will tell you that sexuality has all to do with identity. You can allow society to define you or accept what God called you to be. So Paul, he, he redefines identity as God sees you. Do you know the way God sees you? Do you not know? Don't you understand how God sees you? Do you know who you are? Do you know your identity is what Paul is saying here? And he says this, you are a temple. Did you know that? You are a temple. And we're like, okay, <laughs> what's a temple? Right? Because we don't know what a temple is. We don't have temples around. We don't go to temples. We don't have temples. You know, we've seen temples in a movie. You know, the Raiders, you know, the lost temple of Ark, I don't know, Indiana Jones. I don't know. Am I getting my movies crossed here? But the temple of doom, I don't know. The only thing we know about temples are our own movies. Besides, temples are sacred. And according to society, nothing is sacred. To which Paul would say, you are sacred. You are sacred. You are more sacred than the most sacred site on the planet Earth. You are more sacred. And the reason why you are more sacred is because your heavenly Father, the Spirit of God, dwells inside of you. You are an image bearer of the living God. You are sacred. That's why you are sacred. You are a sacred image bearer. Did you know that? Do you not know who you are? You're more valuable. You're more valuable than, than, than you think. You know why that's a big deal? Because the value of a container is determined by what it contains. You know, I was, I was walking out of my house and my, and, and my wallet being so thick fell out of my pocket. <laughs> Wasn't that thick? Fell out of my pocket on the ground and made this noise. Thud. <laughs> and they go, no, actually, it just kind of floated to the ground and just <laughs> <my wallet. laughs> In fact, you know, during New Year's, I said, Lord, you know, just for my New Year's resolution, I just pray, Lord, um, may you make my wallet thicker, my waistline thinner. Please don't get it mixed up like you have all the other years. <laughs> but anyway, so this wallet is, and, and Naya, Naya was sitting in the lounge. Naya, who's married to our son, and, and she says, oh, you dropped your wallet. And I said to me, look, do you know that wallet? The, the wallet actually means nothing to me. It's not the value of my wallet, but it's the value of what it contains is important. And she goes, oh, the family photo. And, and, but I said, no, I just got $200 that's in there. That's what they, <laughs> I put it, I just got it out of the bank. Yeah, the photo's cool, but I actually, the, I, the, the $200 is more valuable. But see, the, the value of a container is what it contains. 
That is what makes it valuable. The value of a container is what it contains. That is what makes it a container. You contain the image of God. You are extraordinarily valuable, and so is everybody else around you. Then Paul will go on, you are not your own. He'll say that. You are not your own. And you're saying, what are you talking about, not my own? I'm a big boy. I'm a big girl. You know, you can't tell me what to do. I'm my own. I'm my own man. Uh, that's who I am. And you know, let me, and, but Paul goes, no, you're not your own. You're not your own. You were bought at a price. And be glad that you're not your own because, because ownership determines value as well. Ownership determines value as well. So the thing that makes a container value is what it contains. But also, ownership determines value as well. And let me show you, let me tell you this. Look, over here I've got a rugby jersey. It's an old blue rugby jersey. It's from the 70s. It's old, right? And um, to you, this, this is not valuable. This is not valuable. But to me, it's priceless. And the reason why it's priceless is because this is from my mum's village in the Cook Islands in, um, in Rarotonga and um, from Titikavika, the village. And um, who owned this jersey was my father, my dad, a Pākehā, a white man, a skinny guy. And he, he played with a bunch of islanders in Rara. And I thought, Dad, I'll take my hat off to you, the skinny white guy playing with a whole bunch of islanders. And this was his jersey. Now, this jersey is valuable to me, not because of what it's made of, but because who owned it. Because ownership puts value on it as well. And you are not your own. And be glad you're not your own. Because God purchased you, he bought you at a price. What, what price? He sent his son and he died on a cross for your sins and he set you free. He paid with his life. You are not your own. You've been bought at a price. And ownership determines value. You are so valuable. I don't know if you know how valuable you are, how precious you are. You are more sacred than the most sacred side on the planet. You're more valued than the most valuable thing on this world is you because the Holy Spirit lives within you. You are a sacred image bearer. That is your identity. That is who you are. Then Paul goes on and he says, therefore, Therefore, that's the application. He's bringing the application. Therefore, therefore, honor God with your bodies. Honor God with your bodies. Honor God. So here's the question. If you find yourself heading into that direction, when you find yourself heading against one of these guardrails, I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I honoring God. And it doesn't even need to be in this particular area. It could be in anything, in your finances, and how you're treating people, and uh, how you're raising your family. Ask yourself that question, am I honoring God? And in this, especially in this particular area, am I honoring God with my sexuality? Am I flirting or fleeing? Because fleeing immorality requires guardrails. And here's some suggestions. I'm going to give you some suggestions on guardrails. They're just suggestions. They're not like, this is the law. You know, these are suggestions. If you don't like my suggestions, just take it and flush it down the dunny. Okay, I don't, I don't care. But you might even have some better suggestions. That's cool. The point of this whole message is about you discovering guardrails based upon what God, what God says. And coming up with guardrails for your own life. And here are some suggestions I want to give to you. Number one, fidelity guardrails. I love that word, fidelity. Fidelity guardrails. Number one, avoid traveling or eating alone with problematic people. And you'll say, who's the problematic people? 
You know who the problematic people is, right? It's that person at work that, that you're, 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 you, know, you need to go this way where your workstation is, but there's a certain person over here, so you kind of go this way. But you shouldn't be doing that because you know that this person is not the person you should be spending time with. Come on, so you, and this is a guardrail. Don't avoid being alone with problematic people, having, traveling alone, having lunch with those people. And the second guardrail is this. Don't keep secrets from the most important person in your life. You know, the most important person in your life, there should be no secrets. And as soon as you keep a secret, that should ding your consciousness. And they say, whoa, whoa, why am I keeping a secret? This is hitting a guardrail. Number three is this. Don't counsel members of the opposite sex. Don't counsel members of the opposite sex. Have I seen people get themselves in trouble and cross this line? It's in this area right here. They counsel members of the opposite sex. You know why you shouldn't counsel members of the opposite sex? It's because you're not a counselor. And you know what, you, you know what, you know what even, you want to know more information about that? You don't even give good advice. <laughs> Here's the thing. They need help. They don't need you. <laughs> they need help. They don't need you. Get them the help they need. Okay. Number four, my fourth guardrail I want to suggest to you is when you feel your heart and your desire drifting towards a specific person that is really an out-of-bounds person, Tell somebody about it, because often speaking it out diffuses it. You know, when you find yourself, you, you know, I shouldn't be, my heart's drifting. If, don't just keep it to yourself. Oh, well, I'm just going to keep it to myself and jump between me and God. I'm just going to tell God. God already knows. You don't need to tell God. He already knows. Okay? There's no surprises when it comes to God. <laughs> I'm just going to declare it to God. God, just in case you haven't heard. In case you weren't noticing, you know, God already knows. Tell somebody, because when speaking out often diffuses it. And number five is social media. Okay, honestly, be careful of Snapchat, be careful of, of Insta stories and, and things like that because what happens is that we begin to idolize, fantasize, or romanticize a certain person because all we see are the highlight reels, right? right? And, and, and then we have all these unexpected, unrealistic expectations that are on top of all these things. So honestly, put some guardrails around your social media. See, the point of guardrail is to light up your consciousness when you, hit, you find yourself hitting up against it. That's the point of a guardrail. In other words, it should make you sensitive, not because you've done something wrong, but because it's, it's kind of, it's, it, you're heading in a direction that you know you shouldn't be going to, and you need to change, change direction, and that's the purpose of the guardrail, is to, is to hit the guardrail while you're in the safety zone. If you don't have any guardrails, you're going to find yourself in the pit of disaster, okay? Am I flirting or am I fleeing? So you've got to decide, do I flee or do I flirt? Flee on as God. Flee on as your wife. Flee on as your husband. Flee on as your children. It honors your future children, your future grandchildren. Flee on as others who are around you. But flee requires guardrails. Am I honoring God? Or am I, am I flirting or fleeing? Come on. Honor God of your bodies. You know how valuable you are? You are a sacred image bearer. You're more sacred than the most sacred site on the planet. Honor God with your bodies and honor the other bodies around you because they are so valuable to your heavenly Father. Every single person bears the image of God. Every single person. It doesn't matter what color they are. It doesn't matter what race they are. It even doesn't matter what religion they are. 
because every single person bears the image of God and deserves our utmost respect because of whose image they bear. See, what if we saw everybody like that? What if we saw every person around us that way? Can you imagine what our society would look like? Can you imagine the transformation in our community? Can you imagine the people we can reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ because we saw them as an image bearer of God and we respect them because they deserve their utmost respect. We didn't judge them. We came to love them. Can you, can you imagine the people we can reach with the gospel? Come on, we need to set some guardrails now while you're still in the safety zone. See, you won't be applauded now, but you will be applauded by the people that mean most to you later. And more importantly, you'll be applauded by your heavenly Father. Am I flirting or fleeing?